Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is sponsored by Filecoin Foundation. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. Let's go over to Bitcoin mining land and talk about this big piece that came out of the New York Times. This morning, a lot of people in Bitcoin mining circles have actually been waiting for this piece for quite a while because New York Times has been going around and asking Bitcoin miners for data about their Bitcoin mining sites. And now we have this very large piece, which you should definitely go check out because it is interesting. And there's also some really awesome graphics involved here. As a disclosure before we jump into this, I do run media for a Bitcoin mining company. So I do have a little bit of a take on this whole story called The Real World Cost of the Digital Race for Bitcoin. This article goes into detail and data on how Bitcoin mining could or cannot be good for the environment. New York Times comes up with the fact that it's not good for the environment, that they're burning a lot of fossil fuels in order to mine Bitcoin. Kind of come from a stance that Bitcoin doesn't really have any value at this point. And they got to throw in there the fact that Ethereum has moved away from proof of work to proof of stake, saying that essentially Bitcoin could make this decision to move to proof of stake if they wanted, but instead they choose to continue to burn oil and gas. Can I throw this one up to Wendy to get your take on it? This has definitely been in like the parlance for the crypto and culture conversation for the better part of three or four years now, increasingly so because the Ethereum merge. But from your purview, how did you relate to this article or take it on? I don't think that they should be even relating Ethereum to Bitcoin because they're completely different use cases. Ethereum does something so much different. Like Bitcoin really was supposed to be a P2P system, digital cash. That was initially what it was for because of 2008, because of all of the inequalities in traditional financial systems. Ethereum was literally built for smart contracts, NFTs, gaming, utility, completely different. So the fact that they're trying to compare the two make absolutely no sense to me. It seems like a very poor argument. And yet again, we have mainstream media talking about how bad a specific solution for financial inequality is for the environment instead of actually taking a step back and outweighing the pros and the cons. And I'm always going to bring it back to the president of El Salvador and talk about how they're using 100% geothermal energy from volcanoes to mine Bitcoin, which doesn't have that big of a carbon footprint on that area of the world. 
So yet again, we have FUD coming out. And I, again, I think that mainstream media is going to continue to downplay the importance of Bitcoin because they want that CBDC in, and they have to instill fear in the American people to do so. Zach, Jen, who wants it? Yeah, I mean, this is a really good piece. It's obviously been well-researched. It's obviously been worked on for a long time. The question is like, that gets lost in these debates. I think, Will, you kind of alluded to it. It's like, you can't assess something, something's energy cost without understanding what its value is, right? And I think what this piece kind of lacks is like a denominator, right? It's like, we're dividing by zero when we're talking about these energy costs here. I think the piece is lacking in that regard, right? We don't talk about what Bitcoin can do or what it does in many countries around the world in terms of being a place where people can protect their wealth, right? That is something that is pro-social and valuable and arguably should exist for whatever future potential scenarios we in the West find ourselves in. So that I think is the part that kind of felt the most lacking, right? You're sort of measuring these costs, you're presenting all this data, you're trying to do, you know, admirable work in presenting the most comprehensive picture of the, you know, Bitcoin energy expense in the US. And yet you don't really entertain why it might be needed, right? There's all this sort of whataboutism in the Bitcoin community about like, well, what about dryers? Like dryers dry your clothes. They don't use dryers in Europe. That costs electricity, blah, 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 blah. And I don't want to sort of like fall into that whataboutism. But I think the thing that's lacking in this piece is like why Bitcoin exists in the first place. And it doesn't seem to give any credence to that. And I think that that is always where this debate kind of falls flat to me. The kicker of this piece is like, Oh, for the days of the aluminum smelting plant in Texas. Like, yes, the aluminum smelting plant also had pretty nasty emissions, I'm sure. And yet we sort of we have this idealized sort of vision that the piece closes on that I thought was interesting. But there's I mean, there's a lot in this piece. It's definitely worth checking out. But to me, that's sort of the overarching maybe flaw that we keep seeing in these debates time and time again. Jen, I'll kick it to you. I thought the exact same thing. And when I saw all of these graphs and the length of the piece, I was hoping that we would get some of that information that we say so often, like I wish that someone would go out there and collect all this different information and publish it in a way that we can actually make these comparisons with the right data. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen when we look at what regulators are saying about Bitcoin mining, what the mainstream media is saying about Bitcoin mining. It reminded me of a piece we spoke about a while back about Jack Dorsey investing in gridless, right? And this is a mining operation that is setting up in rural parts of Africa and bringing energy to communities who previously didn't have energy, right? And this is like the opposite of this extractive kind of mining that the New York Times is talking about in their piece, albeit like, is it actually extractive? I don't know about enough about mining to say that. But I have a question for you, Will. Do you think, given what regulators are saying, given what mainstream media is saying about mining, we're going to see more of this pop up in response? Oh, definitely. Like, I, it's at the intersection of everyone's tongue, right? So it's like crypto, which everyone wants to talk about, get rich fast. And then the culture wars with climate change, is it real or is it not? And all that debate, right? So like, this is only going to become like a more political issue going forward. So like, there'll be many New York Times think pieces about this. This is only the first. Uh, and I think the question really comes back to what Zach talked about. Do you think Bitcoin has value or do you not? And that's going to change fundamentally how you view this entire topic. Bitcoin does use a lot of energy, but is that energy usage worth it is really the key question here. Zach, back to you. Yeah, I mean, that's what it all boils down to. And I think, you know, it's incumbent upon the crypto community to present a compelling argument for why it is worth something, right? We keep seeing time and time again, oh, here's this energy that's being used. Again, I think households is probably a bad one that the New York Times latched on to here. But here, here's all this uh, energy that's being used that's like equivalent to 10 times of the, the, the neighboring households in middle of nowhere, Kansas, right? But the crypto community has yet to really present, I think, in a way that has resonated with the mainstream, a reason why this power should be generated in the first place, right? 
I think going back to the proof of stake thing that we sort of alluded to with Ethereum, that whole thing becomes really interesting in the regulatory context, I think, because the whole Gary Gensler, all proof of stake cryptocurrencies look pretty much like securities in the eyes of the US securities regulator. You know, I think you sort of see this sort of like suspicion that Gary is like a secret Bitcoin maxi because he sees proof of work as the one true decentralized thing, right? So that whole conversation is lost and is not really part of this piece, but is, is something that I think should be focused in on. But again, I think the value proposition, why we're spending all this energy has still yet to be fully communicated in a way that makes sense to the mainstream. And I think that's the big problem. I don't know. Will, Wendy, want to close this out? I just want to know, like, if we just use Bitcoin instead of banks, how much energy, what would that look like? That's my final thought here. I okay. do not have a number for you. We do not nobody does. Because the banks, will, the banks will never... And also, too, Gary Gensler can't <laughs> regulate Bitcoin. It would be too hard of a job for him. It requires too much critical thinking to do so. That's why he's just attacking all POS coins. It's just super, it's just super easy. Your security, your security, your security. Everybody get, is a security, just like Oprah. Never a dull day. <laughs> Tuesday's top story. Bitcoin is up past 30K, guys. It happened late last night. Pretty awesome move. Over the last 24 hours, we've seen a 6% gain in the price of Bitcoin. Bitcoin correlated stocks like Coinbase, Marathon, MicroStrategy, they're all up at least 5%. And some of these Bitcoin mining stocks are even up over 10%. A lot of Bitcoin stocks or stocks correlated with Bitcoin have trade like beta plays. So whenever Bitcoin goes up, they're going to go up even more. And that trend has only continued with this recent rally. Of course, this comes after pretty low lows in December, right? We're feeling around 16, 15K. And now we're up over 80% year to date. So put a little juice in the back of everyone's pocket right now, which is great. Uh, this is also happening amidst tightening in the rest of the economy. Uh, one little factoid to throw at you is the fact that the NASDAQ volatility and Bitcoin volatility are the widest spread that we've seen in quite some time right now. Which sort of points to investors saying, hey, we see a difference between NASDAQ stocks and Bitcoin, which is good stuff. It's the decoupling that we've always wanted. Waiting to throw this one over to you, get your thoughts on it. Oh man, I have to tell on myself now. So I had to travel last week and one of my trading roles is do not trade and travel because I've lost a lot of money doing that. So I closed out my long, but I'm glad that I closed out my long because I think my stop would have gotten hit. And yeah, I wasn't able to catch this move a little bit sad, but I still do have my spot, still do have my spot Bitcoin, which is a lot larger than my trading portfolio. And it's just very exciting. I think we'll be able to easily target about 31,800. Um, that's where the kind of the next area of resistance is. Some people may be targeting like 31,2. Um, but it's exciting to see Bitcoin actually perform well, especially when we are in an area of uncertainty when it comes to global economics and global money and with the CBDC coming and how all this stuff is happening. So Bitcoin could, in fact, meet that narrative of being a hedge against the US dollar. So, yay, go Miss B. Zach, what are your thoughts? I like how the piece says there's no apparent news driving uh, the increase in price. So I'm just, I'm just wondering, guys, what do you think this is? Is this people responding to that New York Times piece and just being like, Bitcoin is good? Let's Who do even this read thing? That piece? Like, I read that piece. What a piece. It was a great piece. I wrote it's a blog piece about job. it. It's you part read... of our job, but I feel like most people in crypto that see that kind of rubbish on mainstream media, they're just like, I'm not even going to bother, especially Bitcoin Max. He's like, why would you read that when you know half of it is not even true? And it's like, painting a particular bias because they want Bitcoin to be banned in the US. Like, I don't know. I don't think big, people care about that piece. The Bitcoin maxis are very much so in the discourse. They read everything that mainstream media puts out, which is just ironic, but it's sort of a fact here. <laughs> Zach, I want to get your take on the decoupling, though, because that's been a narrative that we've talked about for like years at this point, right? And we are seeing that divergence for the first time with this recent rally. 
Yeah, super notable. I mean, I think that the idea of Bitcoin establishing itself on its own terms is super important, right? It's just not acting like it was during the last bull cycle where it sort of traded just like any other risky tech stock would, right? It's sort of establishing itself on its own footing in a period of macroeconomic uncertainty as, you know, it's kind of, it seems distant now, but remember when all those banks were failing? Remember when all that stuff was happening? People were worried about a banking crisis. The idea that Bitcoin seems to look a lot better in investors' eyes in the wake of some of these bank collapses remains really powerful and potentially compelling for the Bitcoin narrative going forward. So, you know, we had the ordinals thing kick off a lot of interest in terms of building on Bitcoin. We had sort of the banking crisis kick off a lot of interest in Bitcoin as being an alternative to some of these problems that we were seeing in the traditional financial system. So for those two tailwinds to be pushing Bitcoin up to where we're seeing it now is certainly important and interesting. But Will, I think you're absolutely right to focus in on it being different from the rest of the market when historically over the last few years, we've seen it act quite similarly to the rest of the market. Do you, I mean, I guess my question back to you is, what do you think is fueling that? And do you think this is that real moment in which Bitcoin is starting to act like something truly different? Yeah, and I'll go back to the stat I threw out earlier and give a little more context for it. So according to Kaiko, which is a great research team out there, everyone should definitely go follow. The volatility for NASDAQ and the volatility for Bitcoin, the highest divergence that we've seen year to date, which is a great indicator that these two things are separating, right? People just see them as like different assets. And uh, I don't quite know what the reason for this is, right, Zach? So like going back a month ago, six weeks ago, we're talking about Silvergate and Signature and SVB, all these bank explosions. And it was a great moment to be like, hey, I can verify that I have this amount of Bitcoin in my pocket at all times. I don't know what's an SVB. I don't know if I have access to my Signature bank account, right? So there was like a clear narrative violation there, clear narrative forming around this time. And we saw Bitcoin start to separate a little bit. But the time is like, Bitcoin trades for a lot of reasons. There wasn't really any like momentum behind that. It was just like the idea that there was a there was a narrative forming there. I think like six weeks past that, we are seeing like a stark difference between these two things. And the hope is it continues, right? That we continue to see that decoupling. I, mean, I don't want to like call a rally short. Like I, I think it's probably not going to be sustained. And maybe Wendy has some opinions on this. But it, it is odd to see this happening because historically, Bitcoin has traded so closely to tech stocks that it's almost laughable. Uh, that's how people see it. That's how investors see it. But we're seeing a change here in the midst of rate raises and tech stocks still being low and the NASDAQ not selling as high as we'd like it to be. But when do you want to get your thoughts on that? So even though like this is kind of unprecedented, like because like you said, that Bitcoin generally follows the tech stocks, I don't like to question Bitcoin's volatility. I don't like to question these types of moves because just when you think that you can kind of time the market correctly and then you get this big move that happens, whether it's up or down, it's kind of, we just kind of go with it, especially as trading Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin generally does things that people don't expect it to do. And we can use TA, we can use fundamentals as much as we want. But when the market is trending a particular way, don't trade against the market. Just, you know, if you don't want to get in a position, that's fine. Just kind of sit on the sidelines. But it's always fun to see like these insane moves that happen, especially when all odds are against us. And I feel like that's why so many people can kind of resonate with Bitcoin and, you know, apply to so many different aspects of their lives or, you know, their ideologies because it moves how it wants to move. And it's pretty exciting to see. And it's kind of this big silent protest that we all know about. It's like we're in this club, but we're not in this club because everybody can participate in it. It's super cool. I'm here for it. I love it. 
Hey, this is Jensen Nancy from The Hash. Are you heading to Consensus? Because I am, along with the rest of The Hash crew. If you're there, you have to connect with the Filecoin community ahead of Coindesk's big event at the Filecoin network base from April 24th through April 26th in downtown Austin. Join Filecoin ecosystem contributors for lightning talks on Web3, gaming, developer workshops, and the latest updates on the Filecoin virtual machine. Spanning three floors packed with programming and networking opportunities, the network base hosted by Filecoin Foundation is your go-to spot for cross-chain collaboration and connection in Austin. Register today at networkbase.io forward slash Austin. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. Wednesday's top story. What does Warren Buffett have to say about this whole <laughs> thing? Let's see. Something like Bitcoin, uh, you know, it is something, it's a gambling token and doesn't have any intrinsic value. And, and you know, Larry Summers was on a week ago, so it doesn't have any value. I mean, it doesn't have any value, but that doesn't stop people from wanting to play a roulette wheel. All right, shocker. Warren Buffett still <laughs> dislikes Bitcoin. We've gone from rat poison squared to gambling token. One of the many, the many, many knocks on Bitcoin from the Oracle of Omaha over the years. Not much new here, but hey, man, he's, he, that's his story and he's sticking to it. You're not going to win over everybody, even though JPM is out here touting the benefits of the orange coin. Warren Buffett, no, sir, he is not changing his perspective. And you know what? I respect him for it. Jen, I'm going to toss it to you. What are your thoughts on this? Well, my first thought was, why do people keep asking him about Bitcoin? And then I had my answer. It makes for a great soundbite. So I don't think we're going to see people stop asking him about Bitcoin. What pains me is that some people watch these interviews hear these sound bites, read about what Warren Buffett is saying and treat that as, you know, doing their own research. And I think that is part of doing your own research, right, is hearing one side of things. But I hope that when people hear this and they're just getting to, into the space, they, you know, do their own research, go a little bit deeper, hear all perspectives before you make your own decisions when it comes to crypto. Now, although Warren Buffett is very against Bitcoin, some of Berkshire Hathaway's top investments include companies that are not so much against crypto. I went and took a look at some of their top investments this morning. Apple, Amex, Activision, Blizzard were among some of the top ones. And I know Apple's not getting into crypto, but the Bitcoin white paper was revealed to be on all of their computers. And so someone at Apple's bullish on crypto. <laughs> Amex launched a crypto card last year and Activision Blizzard has said that, um, well, when H HP acquired Activision Blizzard. They said it was a metaverse play. And so while he is not bullish on Bitcoin, he does have some companies in his portfolio that are bullish on crypto. And that 
is my final word on this, Will. I love that. I love the uh, <laughs> Apple white paper story making another appearance <laughs> based on this. It. Had nothing to do with the story. <laughs> no, nope, uh, just got to get it in there. <laughs> I love some of the other comments we had, though, from Warren Buffett. Uh, he was mostly talking about SVB and talking about the banking crisis, which I think is definitely related based on the backs of the last story, right? JP Morgan's talking about banking crisis that's putting attention on Bitcoin. Definitely seen an increase in the price of Bitcoin, a narrative forming around Bitcoin sort of separating itself from stocks and from the traditional banking structure based on that price action. Warren Buffett's angle here, he said that there's going to continue to be more banking failures, but depositors are not going to be impacted, stating that the FDIC is going to have this under control. And to be fair, so far, that does seem to be the case, right? SVB and Signature Bank were sort of limited casualties of this banking crisis so far. There might be others, and there's a lot of warnings out there, and a lot of these banking stocks are not doing great. So far, Warren Buffett's theory is holding up. Depositors have not been impacted. Interesting thought there. And I think that could continue to happen. It's sort of funny, though, to look at this and look at Warren Buffett's opinions on this banking crisis and see like depositors might not be harmed here. But he's still anti-Bitcoin, which from a lot of people in the Bitcoin spaces angle, this is sort of a thing that protects like it's an insurance policy against a bank failure, right? So you might think that he might be like more willing to discuss it. Zach, over to you. Well, wasn't Warren Buffett reported to have been like flying around and potentially offering help during the midst of this banking crisis, right? So he is like that backstop that maybe is the ultimate, the ultimate mm. backstop. Maybe he has a bit of a horse in this race as it relates to the banking stuff. But I guess the longstanding animosity toward Bitcoin, it is what it is. I mean, he's going he's, he's gonna to stick by, he's going to stick to his guns. And that's fine. Him and his homie, Charlie Munger, they're out here talking that talk about Bitcoin. And you know what? It does spill a lot of ink. Thursday's top story. All right, everybody. Whale alert. Everybody loves a good whale alert on Twitter and elsewhere. Someone just sent $330 million worth of Bitcoin to Bitfinex, the crypto exchange. We don't know who did it, but we do know that it happened because these are open networks and we can watch it happen in real time. It's fun. Anyway, this is an account that was accumulating a lot of Bitcoin when it was trading at a lower price. The move to an exchange suggests that maybe they're trying to take a little bit of profit as Bitcoin hovers around 30,000. Of note, Bitcoin is back above 30,000. The time this was published, I'm assuming it was right below 30,000. So we'll see what happens. Let's talk about the whale alert phenomenon. I don't know, Adam, do you have any thoughts on this one? It is a cool function of the crypto economy that you can watch. Large transactions happen in real time. Well, you know, there's just more people who want to buy the price right now than want to sell the price. And that's causing the price to go. I'm, I'm just kidding. When we look at kind of the crypto market, for a long time, there's been sort of two sides to it. One side is sort of the philosophical side, and the other side is the number go up side. The number go up side, always super interested in what the people who are holding the biggest amounts, because obviously the supply on the market is relevant. And indeed, if you are looking to, again, like the trick to make money in cryptocurrency has always been to have enough money to have your fingers in all of the pies that you want to have them in and be able to have a long enough time horizon that you can sit through any sort of three or four year long cycle. So this type of move for this type of person would make sense to me that they would be taking some profit now, uh, given sort of the pickups earlier. Do I think it has much of an impact? Uh, I think it'll probably lo lower the Gini coefficient, right? So the concentration of wealth, this is one of the most concentrated accounts I think that we have out there today. So when it divests, that means that things get a little more egalitarian, but it remains still a very large account, certainly, even if it does sell all of this. Jen? Yeah, whale watching is fun for me, but that's it, right? I'm not here to make a quick buck. And I think that's important to bring up. 
when we talk about these whales making massive moves. I think that this account cashed out just over $900 million, correct me if I'm wrong. And so that's great for this person. It's fun to watch, but I think it's always important to highlight that the price going up and down is not the only thing that's happening in this industry and and the other things that are going on are a lot cooler. Will? Give me a break. The NFT chill on the show isn't here for the price action. Come on, that's not true at all. I don't believe it. Yeah, let's put this in some context here a little bit and I'll leave Jen there just to burn a little by herself. MicroStrategy has, uh, well, you should, you should feel a little embarrassed. (laughs) MicroStrategy has about 140,000 Bitcoin. Marathon Digital is a Bitcoin miner and they have about 10,000 Bitcoin on their books. Uh, Next two in the stack in terms of highest Bitcoin holdings by companies Coinbase and Square with about 9,000 and 8,000 Bitcoin each. So whoever this individual is, they have as much Bitcoin as these very large companies, not as much as MicroStrategy. But as much as Coinbase, which that's not really their Bitcoin, right? That's an aggregate of all these retail users. So I think it's just important to note that these whales do exist and they have as much money and as much ability to put pressure on the price of Bitcoin, either up or down, as some of these huge companies. If you heard about Marathon or MicroStrategy, another company dumping Bitcoin in the open market, you would see some price action. So I think it is important to watch these whales. That being said, the information we have is pretty loose, right? We can only sort of see like where these flows are going. They might be going to an exchange. We don't even know if they're necessarily selling. We just know that it's sitting on that exchange. And maybe we can see if that address changes a little bit or not once they pull the Bitcoin back off the exchange. But we're kind of lost when it hits an exchange. The coolest thing here, though, is to see that it's an open financial system and you can see people start to divest and put money into different things. I'll leave it there, though. Give it back to Zach. Yeah, I think that's always the fun part, right? You can track these flows in real time on the internet in a way that doesn't exist in traditional finance. Now, of course, there are downsides to that, right? You don't necessarily want to be associated with some of these large moves. And there are ways to sort of break the, uh, not anonymity, but pseudonymity of these blockchain systems. So when you hear about people saying, hey, we need privacy tech in crypto, this is kind of what it boils down to, right? Not everyone wants, you know, how much money they take out of their wallet to be news, to be talked about on Coindesk. And so that's something that I think privacy advocates would say, we need to build systems that sort of maintain that public verifiability, but are also private in nature. Otherwise, these traditional financial players are not going to want to play in these markets, right? It's disadvantageous for all this stuff to be hung out to dry, as it were. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 